This is Professor Allen, and welcome to the Quarter Bin. In every episode of this podcast, I will summarize, criticize, discuss, and review a single issue from my comic book collection, which I or someone else will select. Any book from my comic book collection is eligible, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for it. Was the issue worth 25 cents? Was it a bargain at 25 cents? Or was it still overpriced? Stay tuned and find out. For this 164th episode of the Quarterbin Podcast, we are looking at The Brave and the Bold 130 from DC Comics, cover dated 1976. But first, a little feedback. Last time, we talked about an issue of Spider-Man Magazine, and podcasting's Michael Bailey had a comment or two. Professor Allen, magazines! I love it when you talk about these. Part of that has to do with the fact that your prorating of the stories, with a little bit of amortization to boot, because you're gradually making the book cheaper by focusing on the number of stories instead of going with the price you paid, makes certain people we know crazy. People that have names that rhyme with bag or Bella. Trolling by podcasting is the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, you got me, Mike. You got me. (laughs) This was a great quartet of stories. That Daredevil one always makes me laugh because Foggy and Karen took a blind guy to the circus. It just seems mean but in a really funny way. See, Mike, here, maybe we disagree. I think that maybe Karen and Foggy were way ahead of society in terms of mainstreaming those with disabilities. Or maybe it was just mean. Maybe we can just compromise and say it was clueless. Mike continues that the circus of crime are always good value for villains, and recently... As part of my 2021 reading resolution, I found a Golden Age cap story that featured a bad guy team made up of evil circus people. Sometimes the classics are the best. As always, Professor the Quarterbin did not disappoint. Regards, podcasting's Michael Bailey. Yes, circuses are colorful and visual, which makes them... Perfect settings for comic book stories. Billy D. said it was a great episode as always. Thanks for airing our All-Star Squadron promo. And thanks for covering material with the Fool Killer. Herman and I love that character. That tweet thread later devolved into jokes about how to properly abbreviate All-Star Squadron. I pointed out that the hyphen is the most important thing. Sir, Sir Martin of Grey said it was another listenable show, which is exactly what we're going for here. I love, he says, that first DD costume. I see it not as yellow and brown, but yellow and leathery red. It's so much more interesting than all red. The Ringmaster and the Circus of Crime are among Marvel's finest comics concepts, being fun intellectually and visually. You know, thinking of that as yellow and dark red is not a bad way to think about it, Mark. That 
that just might work for me. The Marvel team-up story featuring Spidey and Torchy is a classic with a bit of kindness, putting Sandman on the route to being a better person. Also, Johnny's off-duty look is so stylish. And that retcon about the mugger victim in Marvel Team-Up number one being Misty Knight was so randomly clever. I love it. And I blooming love the vulture. Amazing visual, green feathers. He's just amazing. When they tried to replace old Adrian with a younger model, it went down like a lead buzzard. And Mart thanked me for linking to his old review of the Ray that we mentioned in the feedback section, of course, Mart. Thank you for thoughtful feedback, as always. Wonderful hearing from you. Clinton from Coffee and Comics was excited to see us cover an issue that he actually owns. And I know, that is always great fun. Glad it worked out that way for you, Clinton. Social media support for that last episode came from Sir Iowa's Joe, Drew from Comics for Fun and Profit, Dr. Ange, Kirk Spencer, Big Five Army, Sir Luke from Earth Destruction Directive, Ed Moore of Teal Productions, Chris Lydon, Laurel, a.k.a. Mountainflower One from the Hunters Podcast, Into the Weird, Dragon Rider 9, Chris from Professor Frenzy, It's a Show, Sean from Secret Wars and Beyond, Baby Skeletor, Comics 42, Pat, from the Long Box Crusade, Starship Alves, Mike from Comics in the Golden Age, Gene Gene, the Podcasting Machine, Hendrix, James Williams, Michael T. Geist, Manuel Carmona of Truthful Comics, Patrick Delmore of Next Generation's First Generation, Robert Ludwig, the most sane man among us, Chris Willette, Vic from Phoenix, and our listeners of the year, the kind and lovely Sutherlands. So let's take a break here play a promo and when we get back we'll be looking at brave and the bold 130 and i won't be alone it was the early 1990s the dark ages the transformers toy line was over finished Without toys in the shelves to advertise, the comic book series created to sell them was likewise cancelled after an 80-issue run. Then, the impossible happened. I didn't believe you. I thought you were lying to me. Transformers were back in toy stores, and perhaps even more importantly, Transformers were back on the comic book shelves as well. But this run of Transformers comic proved to be somewhat different than what we'd seen before. I can implode neutrons! All of a sudden, the battle between the Autobots and Decepticons threatened to have real consequences. That was a low-yield neutron implosion! That was also the precise location of our transport! And brawn! Exploding off of the comic book pages with darker, grittier storylines and vibrant, some might even say, neon colors. The, the very first thing I noticed was a very 90s art style. Truly, this was not your father's Autobot. Not Your Father's Autobot is a 13-episode, limited-run podcast beginning in early 2021. Join me, Mark Baker-Wright, also known as GB Blackrock, 
and my brother, Nick Wright, as we go through the entire Marvel US run of Transformers Generation 2, issue by issue, as we look at the series that brought Transformers back from oblivion. After this series, Transformers will never be the same. Look for Not Your Father's Autobot on Podbeam via blackrockstoybox.blogspot.com or wherever podcasts may be found. And by we, I don't just mean myself and my stack of coverless Bronze Age comics. So I'm joined by Tim Drake's best friend on the internet. Sorry, television's Tim Drake's best wow, friend right. on the internet. That's a real thing. I can't believe that's real. <laughs> that's the show, folks. I'm out. See ya. <laughs> Our friend Rob Myers is a little busy right now as the news just broke and his phone just broke. I, I think so. I was at uh, 30%. I think I'm now down to nine. <laughs> <laughs> All the way from Everyone Loves the Drake. Rob thank, Myers, good to see you. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me on. This is a... Uh, Welcome to the It's going to be fun. I think the last time I was on your show, I was mooing. <laughs> you know, that's some I, of your best work. That, I'm not judging. I, I know, I know. I played that clip for my wife, and I would have expected, like, shock and awe, and she just went, eh, that sounds about right. <laughs> sounds like you. Sounds yeah, like I, you. <laughs> No, no real depth in my acting, apparently. <laughs> and uh, and it's good to have someone from here in the Buckeye State. OH. IO. <laughs> so, uh, you know, let, let, let's actually start there. Now, I know all the comic shops right here in the Columbus area. Mm-hmm. And I know where the cheap comics are. And I don't know if you ever make your way down to Lancaster, but used bookstore, Pulp Reality. 50 cent boxes as far as the eye can see just throwing that out to you well when i married my wife i said lancaster and she's like stop oh, it stop it right there i said that i said that the first day i taught a class there well the first class well the first time i said it and that was the last time you said <laughs> exactly, it too wasn't it <laughs> exactly yeah and i can't remember the name of the shop i've got it written down on a, a post-it note <laughs> yeah. uh, somewhere <laughs> looked like it was half half run down. I thought, oh, this place probably Mm -hmm. is going to be good. And there were just walls and walls and walls of books. I thought, these are my kind of people. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You're about a hundred miles probably for me. I'm not sure. Something like that. So what is the situation up there, both for sort of general LCS? You have one you want to give a shout out to or, or more specifically, what's the state of cheap comics up in that part of the state? Bell Book and Candle in Dayton area, I believe, right. okay. I think is, is a place to go. We used to have a shop and you would have appreciated this. It was called the book nook. And my grandmother first took me there in Finley, Ohio to get her old uh, romance novel books that she would read. And once she was done, <laughs> she would take them into a store, Tra- almost like trade, a, them back uh, in. Right. trade them back in and get X number of cast, either get another old one that somebody else had read or buy something new off the shelf. Half price so, books, sort yeah, of idea. That, right. that type of thing. So I would go in with her. I'm probably, I'm just going to say eight, seven or eight, somewhere around that <laughs> time frame. And I'm sitting in the car. I never wanted to go in with her. I'm like, I'm not going to look a bunch of old lady books and <laughs> you know, guys with their shirts off on the front cover. And I can't believe it's not butter. You know that <laughs> Bobby, as far as the eye could see. And I'm sitting there and off in the window, I see the little DC bullet. 
off on the side. I'm like, well, oh. that's kind of funny. So I got out of the car and my grandma's like, oh, did you come back and look at the comic books? And I'm like, time out. I've been coming here for how long? And you didn't tell me Batman and Spider-Man and Dr. Doom and uh, Robin. They're all hanging out in there. They're all hanging out there. So yeah, that was my local shop from age 10 until about 2015. The woman that ran it, bad health and then had sold it. So I don't have a shop close by me. I've got to go 45 miles Mm. in multiple directions to go to a shop. So what I currently have is the guy that took care of the comics for her he got a diamond distributor's license at the time and it's pull list only so i would get the previews magazine and say i want batman spider-man yada 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 and then he teaches gymnastics so i go to his gym while girls are tumbling and flying in the air and i'm like hi i'm here for my funny books (laughs) like all all the moms and all the parents know me and everything so (laughs) so that's my local shop it's just all new comics but if i want to go to some good shops i'll go up you know, up north, hit Laughing Ogre, or I'll yeah. go to uh, Comic Town. Probably the closest thing to go. So, God, gotcha, I gotcha. Now, this book that we're going to be covering here does not have Robin in it. So, nope. let me just go ahead and ask you straight up: Why are you such a big fan of Robin? And in particular, I was going to ask which Robin. We kind of spoiled that already. Yeah, the name of your one. show kind of spoils that too. <laughs> <laughs> why robin in general why tim drake in particular in terms of your your fandom 1984 i got this book um batman and robin the case of the laughing sphinx by fisher price it had a cassette tape i think they did like a superman a wonder woman and a justice oh, league wow. and then a batman and robin and everything is acted like this come on old chums is very you know 1960s ish mm-hmm, batman mm-hmm. and it's drawn by Jim Aparo was the main artist on it. And that has always been my Batman. And there's right. some other names that are kind of escaping me at the moment. The Jim Aparo, Batman and Robin are running, you know, towards camera on this. And I absolutely loved it. So I'll tie a little baseball analogy into it. I was always a Detroit Tigers fan. So Lou Whitaker and Alan Trammell were my mm-hmm. two of my idols mm-hmm. growing up. I never wanted to be Lou Whitaker or Alan Trammell. I wanted to be the third baseman or I wanted to be the first baseman so I could play with oh, right. sweet Lou you. and Alan. So that kind of goes into Batman. I never thought like, hey, kids can't relate to Batman. So I thought, boy, wouldn't it be cool to be Robin? I would get to hang out with Batman. Mm-hmm. I get to ride in the Batmobile and hang out. So or that was my sidecar. Yeah, or in the sidecar. Little... <laughs> I aspired to be Burt Ward and nothing more. <laughs> so with that, then you could kind of identify with Robin a little bit more. So then I kind of was more fixated on Robin. I could argue and say, I'm a bigger Batman fan because I wanted to take the place of Robin so I could hang out with Batman. But then I started reading comics. My name is Rob. So my mom started getting me Batman and Robin stuff and she would Mm -hmm. scratch out the I N. So it would read Batman and Rob. Destroy the value of the comic. I destroy the value. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for ruining all that. No, that, that helped you not get into the investor mindset so that's right thumbs up to mom actually so a lot of my books didn't have covers on them because she was cutting them up on you know (laughs) but so from that you know i just really started liking the character of robin then i had you know the laps in comics where i'm in school and it's not cool to read comics so then this little silly movie came out 1989 i don't remember Uh. what the title of it was and that got me inspired to go back to the comic shops and i'm like oh i want to go start reading comics and there was no Robin in the books. I'm like, well, this kind of stinks. 
And then this book, Batman Year Three, comes out. And I'm like, oh, they've got some images of Robin on there. And then that goes into Lonely Place of Dying. And I'm rooting for Dick Grayson to become Robin. And by the end of the book, it's this Tim Drake guy. So that's my... There you go. That's my journey. And here we are today. That's right. Are are, are you generally a broader DC guy? I mean, do you read Marvel? Do you read Independence? Or is it pretty much much fixated on, on DC, Batman, Robin, family? I was looking through my comics. The last Marvel book I have is dated 1984. <laughs> and that's not because I've been to all the Marvel movies. I love all them. Something just kind you of know. veered me. I think it was the mindset my mom was like, she was always going me towards like Teen Titans and Justice League because, well, this one has Batman, Robin, Wonder Woman, and Green Lantern rather than buying the Batman but, comic. <laughs> yeah, Green Lantern, yeah. you know, mom was trying to. I, I, man, I, I like your See, mom's financial approach. This is impressive. So if you do something over and over again, you start building habits. So I was only getting DC for the longest time. And, you know, every once in a while, like playing the Tomb Raider video games, there was a comic book that would come out. So I would go do that, read some of the Star Trek, Indiana Jones, comic books, Star Wars, things that kind of caught my fancy. Kiss, if they put out a comic book, I bought it. (laughs) I got one in the mail recently. I love it, by the way. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I generally I'm a one trick pony. When I bought books, if there wasn't a yellow cape or a blue cape in it, I generally <laughs> didn't buy it until I got a little bit older. Then I'm like, oh, I need to read this infinite crisis thing and stuff like that. So, yeah. The 2020 last year, big year for Robin. Yes. Did some special stuff on the podcast last year for that. So, brag about that a little bit. We had an 80th anniversary. It seems like the previous year was Tim Drake's 30th anniversary, which, you know, kind of coincided with Batman's 30th because they're same age and all that stuff. Right. From 89 movie, rather. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then going into, I don't think we'd actually started doing anything until February of 2020. It's the first time I've ever done an event. Like, can I alternate every other episode with having a special guest come on and just talk about, there, there, Robin, whoever it was, Damien, Tim, Steph, whoever, and make a show out of it. It could have been a, a movie, a animated series, a book, whatever the guest chose. That's what we did. So we were able to do that every other episode for the most part. I think we doubled up a couple here, there, and then alternate back and forth. So aside from the radio drama, that was probably the most labor intensive, like for podcasting, mm-hmm. getting everybody's right. schedule around. And then, you know, the world went crazy, right? As we started <laughs> planning stuff. So things slid around, but, but this year is going to be more of a laid back and we'll just yeah. dig back through the nineties and just kind of write it out for this year until I get some crazy harebrained idea. Your guests last year included a lot of people that listeners of this network will be yep. familiar with Mike Staley, Clinton Robinson, Sean Ross, Siskoid, and of course, Miss Stella, right? But if you had to pick a favorite guest, maybe someone you hadn't really connected with a ton beforehand, but who you feel you've really gotten to know better in the last year, maybe someone from the same state as you. Um, I didn't have Shag on, so I can't say him. No, of course, it's you, sir. (laughs) I had the professor on the show for the first time, and you picked a very cool book, was the Detention Comics, which was right on the nose, but I, I appreciated that. And the book was punny. At the same time, well, so that was a fun one. You, you, yeah. And l- like you said, you did have such a range of, oh, of yeah. specials that, that folks had picked. I mean, Siskoid picked our oldest book. It was a 1949 oh, right. mm-hmm. Star Spangled Comics, and that was that was a fun book. An- another excellent situation that happened because of that 80th anniversary. It meant you got to put off 
coverage of contagion is that what's next yeah or, so i think the timing was good or was it the return of yeah it's like we started with the 80th anniversary and got into contagion and now we're just getting into the second half mm-hmm. of legacy so that was really weird to be covering we read an interview from chuck dixon where he said batman f- fighting a plague this is preposterous. Something like this is never going to happen. How does Batman punch a disease? And then we're reading this book and 2020 going, uh, Chuck, what are you? <laughs> I don't want to say you swung and missed, but I, I check your notes again, buddy. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was funny. I mean, it, March, April, May, you just, as I was reading, it's amazing how many plagues diseases yeah run through tv shows comic books movies it's like and i had said on our show like man as much as i try and plan stuff like in the podcasting world and you know this too Mm -hmm. the minute you try and plan something things fall through or i'm going to shift this show so if i just stayed on task way back when we probably would have already had covered contagion (laughs) you'd you'd be out of the woods i'd been out of the woods and it felt really (laughs) weird to be like okay they're talking about quarantine in uh, 1996, I didn't know what quarantine actually meant. And then we're starting to think of things like, wow, what if they're running around looking for toilet paper? <laughs> now, uh, moving over here to our fine comic, this yes. issue of Brave and the Bold. Now, I gave you a choice for what yep. you wanted to cover. I gave you a hand, handful of options from, from, the, uh, from the quarter bin database, and none of them had Robin in it. So why'd you pick this one? Because it had Robin's uh, partner in it. It had <laughs> that other guy. That and I don't know if you want to go into the other reason yeah. why I picked this was Ollie's a couple years ago mm. had bargain mm-hmm. discount that everybody was falling themselves all over. So I've been looking for an excuse, A, to read some of these books. And anytime I've been on a show, be it my own or somebody's invited me on, I'm like, surely. I have to have one of these issues in this Ollie's hall that I had for a year. <laughs> so this was in there. So this was the first time I was able to pick this up. And this actually comes out of the legends of the dark Knight volume two, the Jim Aparo edition. And it's all of the brave and the bold mm-hmm. uh, issues. So this is right. So once I realized I had this and I could kind of go, Oh, so I started kind of going through them, like reading up to what we we're discussing and then going beyond. So mm-hmm. nice. Uh, so yeah. How is that uh, trade? I, it's, it's a very nice trade. It starts in the right around uh, 120, 123 is where it starts. And then it ends with a 438. I mean, it's, it skips right. here and there, but mm-hmm. it's right nice. in the main heyday for, Zany Haney and Jim Aparo. It's Jim Aparo all the way through. So it's a beautiful book. Well, you have set us up perfectly because this is Brave and the Bold 130. Had a cover price of 30 cents, which was info I had to get from online sources because my copy Mm. has no cover, which is just about the only way to get Bronze Age books out of a quarter bin is if they don't have a cover. Uh, so it did represent 17% off that original discount price. I, I, I can't complain. So now, do you want to figure mine into oh, this? That's right. How many the cover issues? price. Yeah. The 40 issues in this. So at a cover price of 49 99 through the Ollie sale, I paid six bucks. Oh man. Yeah. I think that's a winner that qualifies. <laughs> 
That qualifies yeah, I, to be I was going to say, show. I think this meets your criteria. Man, oh, man. That's a Yeah, there were some, uh, especially the first wave of Ollie stuff. Yeah, this was this was the first DC wave. DC was just, I guess they had a warehouse full of junk. I think that was the deal. They just made a deal with Ollie's to come unload this, unload this stuff and do what you will with it. And Other three, volumes. Three dollar for... trades, five dollar yeah. trades. Like you said, was that a seven dollar mega collection? Yeah, I think out of that first haul, I bought 25 books and (laughs) I did not and I did not break $50. I was really close to the $50 mark. That's amazing. Somewhere in there. Is there a copy of the cover? Yes. (laughs) Can can you describe that for us? Seeing as you know, I don't have one. So at the very top, we've got, of course, uh, Brave and the Bold's got the uh, classic DC bullet and my favorite Batman logo, the 70s era Batman mm-hmm. logo. Uh, four famous co-stars, like you said, the 30 cents, Batman, Brave and the Bold, and four four famous co-stars being Green Arrow, the Adam, Joker, and the Riddler. We've got Green Arrow and Batman hung upside down, <laughs> two faces flipping a coin with the Adam attached to it, and the Joker has a crazy knife, so... Yes, a brilliant cover. That sounds like that could be for a Bob Haney story. I think so. I think it's crazy enough. It just might be. So our our story is Death at Rainbow's End, written by Zany Bob Haney with art by Jim Apero. Now, out of respect for Rob and everyone loves the Drake, at this point, I will drop in my pre-recorded synopsis. And we start with Batman exactly where he was at the end of last issue, according to the pages of Recap. Which is to say, left on a metallic grid-like solar panel to be fried in the sun by the Joker and Two-Face. The ghastly grimacer cunningly devised the ultimate death trap. Guess this is it, Batman thinks. Joker had the last laugh. Green Arrow and the Atom have a choice to make. Save Batman or reclaim the Emperor Eagle, which the two crooks have stolen. This is a valuable artifact that Oliver Queen purchased last issue and believes thus is rightly his. Green Arrow temporarily gives up his obsession with the Eagle to save Batman from death, firing Adam into a keyhole to allow him to escape but this also allows the two super crooks to get away ahead of them. After resuming the chase, the three heroes get caught in a rock slide, which seems to kill Batman and allows the Joker and Two-Face to get away. But we have no time for searching or mourning. And Green Arrow and Adam are captured by the descendants of the North African or Middle Eastern villagers who originally built the Emperor Eagle back in the days of Alexander the Great. Under the direction of General Khan, the people of Bethanistan are wrapping up building a duplicate of the Eagle. And this is where the story starts to get a little zany heeny. Green Arrow makes a deal. If he can pull Alexander's bow an artifact in the village, which no one has been able to do for more than two millennia, they'll set him and Adam free. Then, I promise, we'll help you regain your true eagle. At this, 
Adam wonders what trouble Ollie is getting them into now, but he accomplishes the feat because... Oliver Queen is super strong? What? However that worked, he and the Mighty Might, who was mistaken for a sorcerer, are set free. With Adam's help somehow, they manage to switch the eagles while Joker and Two-Face are somehow sleeping under the stars not too far away from all this action. G.A. and Adam take the real one over a damaged bridge, but it ends up in the river below. However, Green Arrow saves himself and Adam from drowning and recovers the Emperor Eagle from the water. Adam does some buoyancy calculations and gives us some science super speak to reveal what Oliver knows. The real eagle isn't empty, it's filled with gold. Check, and sprinkled with diamonds and rubies. Imagine what all that's worth today, millions, which is probably a severe underestimation of the value actually. They are joined by the not-dead Batman who, surprise, survived the avalanche by falling into a secret cave. There, via the interpretation of hieroglyphs, Batman learned the truth about the eagle and all the jewels and such inside it and why Green Arrow is so keen on owning it. And somehow Joker recently stumbled onto the secret too. Batman frees Green Arrow from his lust for money and riches by the traditional medical method of a karate chop to the back of the neck. I'm sure our friend Dr. Ange can confirm that this is taught as basic practice in medical schools today. They are surrounded by Khan and his men who force them to turn over the eagle. However, the curse of the eagle strikes when lightning hits the mountainside road that Khan is traveling on with the eagle, causing them to fall into, as Adam puts it, a bottomless chasm where neither can ever be recovered. Wait, what? Okay, our story ends with the dastardly duo of Joker and Two-Face escaping Pathanistan with the fake eagle, still believing it to be the original, of course. They smash it open, but find that it's empty inside, and Two-Face threatens to take out his anger on his partner. But he flips the coin, and it comes up clean. I must be good, and not kill you, you imbecile clown. And our heroes laugh at the idea of the villains getting nothing of value for their efforts, the foolers being fooled, and the final joke being on the Joker. The end. All right. First things first, Rob, I need to know. You had this in the trade, as you said. Yep. Did you go back and read 129 beforehand just to see how Batman got himself tied to a solar-powered laser dish? At first, I thought it was a giant fly swatter. <laughs> it does have that look. Okay. <laughs> it does. Uh, yes, I did. I went back and uh, reread it. Because I went in cold, I'll read just 130, and sh- surely this isn't going to be a continued story. Those hardly and then ever happen like, in Brave and the Bold. That, the right. They, they, do, they really do hardly ever happen. Yeah, usually one and done. It was a continued story. And then I went, oh, crap. I hope it's in this book. <laughs> and I hope Aparo drew it. If he did, that means it's in the book. And yes, ah, it nice. was. Okay. I was tempted 
and I definitely will read it probably tomorrow. As a matter of fact, uh, <laughs> I do try to take these issues one at a time, but it, it is a, certainly a striking beginning. And they do give us a couple pages of synopsis. So that did, that yes. did sort of help. Yeah. Broadly speaking, sort of big picture. What did you think of this one? I have a soft spot for Brave and the Bold. It was one of the first comics that I had went through some of my uncle's comics and they were a lot of Brave and the Bold, a lot of Tina, a team up probably because mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. grandmother was very much like my mother and said, okay, you can buy comics, but only if they're all together in the same book. So I think out of the first set of books that I've had, they were all Brave and the Bold with the exception of like maybe a Superman and a Spider-Man right. Or, or, right. or something like that. So I liked it just for nostalgia. I'm trying to get out of my 1980 something <laughs> head and being like, this story is amazing. And now doing this for, you know, a few years, I'm going, Bob, um, we're using a lot of words. And uh... I knew all the words. I didn't necessarily, you know, wouldn't have put them in that exact order. Yeah. In this, this group. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of teleportation, like Batman's going to go oh, do right. a thing. And then later, and a good, a good chunk of this book, Batman's not even around. Yeah. I mean, it's... he gets knocked out or gets hidden away. I mean, they think he's dead. Yeah. And then the whole time Green Arrow's like, nah, I really want to go get this bird. So yeah. I mean, we, we can mourn him later. I mean, come yeah, on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we can call Robin and Alfred we, we, right. later. We've got priorities first. We'll okay? call Barbara. It'll be fine. <laughs> You know, and I've always been a, a big Green Arrow fan as well. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I don't think Green Arrow is this dumb. <laughs> like, I didn't think he was that egotistical. I know he's, but yeah. he's just hell bent on this bird and getting this statue back. And it's another one of those things that Haney likes to do is just either assume that you know what I'm talking about or doesn't right. doesn't give you any hints of like, mm, I think there's something wrong with Green Arrow. No, you're just led to believe. <laughs> Till like the final pages, he's perfectly sane and he's just wants this bird because he's broke. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, this this reminded me of, and I don't know if you have familiarity with this context with this, and it's gonna sound like an insult, but it's <laughs> definitely not. But this reminds me of the fun globe-spanning adventures of the best Disney comics. Uncle okay. Scrooge mostly, but also the ducks yeah. and Mickey and Mickey and Goofy too, and they team up. Just sort of the wild and wacky aspects, treasure hunting. Yeah. And an exotic foreign locale. So as I was thinking this, I was like, is this Don Rosa or Carl Barks? Which which <laughs> duck artist is Bob stealing from on this insane adventure? Well, you get to the, uh, well, in my page, it's 148, <laughs> which I'm not sure what it is on. It's, right, it's the last page before... Uh, part three to whom the last uh, the last laugh yeah where green arrow pulls out his bow and he is shooting the suspension bridge that has the the -hmm. chariot and the eagle on it which made me go right to indiana jones in the temple of doom Mm -hmm. where indiana is wrapping himself around he's like oh no dr jones or he knows he's going to cut the bridge in this case short round and short round being adam (laughs) see what i did there has no idea what's going on but I, I liked, I think that was another thing I liked about Brave and the Bold. Like you said, the globe trotting, like they were always going to locations. Yeah, they may be in Gotham City or maybe Metropolis, depending on who they are. But it was usually taking Batman out of something you knew and putting him in the house of mystery or, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, Dr. Putting, Fate. 
putting him in the world of that other character. Yeah, yeah. So, so no one has home home field advantage. Right. I, I, you know, I thought maybe this was Haney trying to sort of capture some of that Denny O'Neill magic from a few years before. Yeah. You know, sending Batman into that sets that story that introduced the Al Ghul clan where he's yeah. up in the Himalayas or Nepal or wherever that is. Just that insane epic scope. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then a, a, a classic 70s lingo. We've got the <laughs> Joker as the ghastly grimacer. I, I love I'm not sure that. I'd heard that one before. And the Clown Prince is mentioned here a couple times. Right. The Emerald Archer. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't mm-hmm. think they do a name for the Adam like I think, that. I think he might get the Mighty Might, maybe. Oh, but maybe. But that's probably about it, yeah. But when I got the Ghastly Grimacer, I thought, okay, Bob, go for it. Yeah, you be you, Bob. <laughs> uh, the one that made me really chuckle was the pet names that Joker and Two-Face have for each other. Pardon me for saying this, but yeah, Two-Face calls him Clown Puss. And uh, <laughs> the Joker says, no need, Screwjaw. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, out of all the names that I would have given the Joker and Two-Face, Clown Puss, like, okay, maybe he's a clown, his cat, he's crying about it. But Screwjaw, I don't, I'm not getting that one. Screwjaw makes me think if he's a He-Man villain or something like that. <laughs> He-Man's battling and, Skeletor and Screwjaw. And... And I loved Bob Haney's scientific explanation through the atom that I just didn't even want to think. I didn't even want to check. I didn't want to look a thing up. I didn't want to mention it anywhere. I just want to believe that that's true. Whatever about the buoyancy of gold. And so it must be filled with jewels because otherwise it would gravities of something versus something else. I was rereading this for tonight and, uh, when we got to that spot, I was like, is the professor going to pull out? I got a specific gravity closer to. <laughs> I can't even read it with a straight face, but yeah, it's funny. It must be. It must be gold. Now, this takes place in Pathanistan. Oh, thank you. And I, didn't I wonder know if that. that's possibly inappropriate. It sounds like Afghanistan. Yes. And Pakistan. But it also kind of implies pathetic. That's what I got out of. That's where my mind went. So I'm not sure this hits the modern definition of sensitive or if that's just an unfortunate accident as opposed to a tongue in cheek, purposeful. I don't know. There was, there were some one liners in here that I was like, okay, Bob, like does the Joker refer to Batman and green arrow? They are the son of the dog at one point in here. (laughs) Like, I would like to give Bob the credit and go, that's a happy accident, but I think that's happily on purpose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So now let me ask you this. Would you, in, in, in terms of made-up DC countries, would you prefer Umek or Karak? Or did, do you have another? Karak. I, I like I like that one better. M did an episode of Uncovering the Bronze Age. It may, I think it was that that Denny O'Neill with, with the Al Ghouls and... Ber- referred to that as uh, that Asian nation as Thai Leonam, I think. Thai Leonam. <laughs> I usually just go with Generistan. That's what I like, Generistan. <laughs> I like that one. Well, it was a question I had on my show once. Like Marvel was always really pretty good about telling you you were in New York or you were yeah. in Buffalo or you're whatever. And DC was always the, you know, oh, we're in Metropolis. Do you prefer being in the real, real world that you could actually go to a place where you see Dr. Doom go 
flying by or would you rather be in Gotham and have yourself pulled out of reality? It's in a couple of the classes that I teach. I, uh, we talk about inflation. And recently, but last decade or so, the country of Zimbabwe experienced hyperinflation. Mm-hmm. So I always ask a multiple choice question after that <laughs> of which country recently experienced hyperinflation. And the answers are Zimbabwe and then three other made up fictional countries. <laughs> and it's amazing how often Latveria or Westeros, <laughs> Narnia, Narnia get picked. It's, it's just, you know, whatever's in the atmosphere of the time. I work nice. that into the into the question. So, do I you mean, have anybody refute it? Like, no, no, that's real. <laughs> I read it. I, I, I read know it. I read it. So, no, I know you. I know you've heard of it. Yeah, I, I'm not doubting that. <laughs> I'm not doubting that you've heard of it. Just because you hear it doesn't make it real. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, any world with Latveria is a world I would prefer. Oh, <laughs> Ab- above all, <laughs> run. <laughs> I think both have advantages and disadvantages. Yeah, you know, between putting something in in a in a quote unquote real world, uh, but yeah. then you have real world issues that you have to deal with, right? As, as, as historical things, whether it's nine eleven or whatever it is, if you're dealing right. with it, it puts cities, it in a time real and life a place. Cases, yeah, yeah it, it almost stamps it too much. Right. Does this live up to Bob Haney's reputation? I think so. Almost more than most in some cases, there is so much going on. Like he doesn't always explain himself very well. Like even just in the scene where they think Batman's under the rubble and he's Mm -hmm. presumed dead and aha, there happened to be a trap door alongside of the route of a mountain in a secret passage where things are just kind of just thrown out there for uh, Batman got out because, well, this reason and that reason. But there's a lot of that in this book, uh, getting the characters from point A to point B. So I think it lives up to it. But because of that, it's heartwarming in some ways. Mm-hmm. Like it's so crazy. It can, it can just be this can be the challenge of the super friends or, or, or something yeah. crazy like that. And it and it works for itself. You look through some of these pages and you've got sometimes six, seven, eight panels. Oh, yeah. In inset panels, angled panels. And you wonder, to some extent, is that a paro? It's the only way he can squeeze all of the story in? Or, or was it specifically designed? You need to wonder what the, what the relationship was uh, yeah. between those I, two. And you mentioned a paro. His, his pencil work, even in the smallest of the panels. Yeah. I mean, Solid. it goes without saying. It's, it's pretty stellar. I mean... And few people, they have a hard time drawing animals. He pulls oh, yeah. off the horses very well, the eagles very well, mm-hmm. uh, even just his background stuff. Even if it's a, you know, a very minimalist in, in coloring or in shading, just some of the buildings and the mountainsides that are in the smallest of panels get some very decent detail. And sometimes when you draw people really small, you can, they right, look a little wonky. Yeah. You lose the head or the arm, but he still does it very well. I, mm-hmm. I really, what's the phrase that uh, Aparo hangs the moon. I, mm-hmm. He does no wrong in my book. <laughs> you wonder how this story gets the two-part treatment. He just like, why this, why, what the background is of how you end up with these characters. And I guess when you've got two villains and two heroes teaming up, you probably have to spread that over too. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen that just because like you said, there are so many panels in this, in this book. I mean, they're moving the characters all over the right. place. Yeah. In just the other books that I've 
was reading before this to kind of just see where if any plot threads were going through, which of course they don't under these two issues, he was still able to tell an effective story only in right. one single issue mm-hmm. that he was able to stretch it out to two kind of impressive in, in, in a way. You, you start off with that, with that death trap, which, you know, right out of the 66 show. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is a classic. He's on a, like you said, a fly swatter of a satellite dish and there's a solar right. beam that's moving towards him. I mean, it's, it's classic. No, Batman, I expect you to die. <laughs> and I, like you said, with, with just with the plot back to that, I am still not sure how they made the switch. There was something about where the villains, they were like sleeping and they made the switch at the bottom oh, of the ravine. Cause yeah, for, then for they the eagle. That, yeah, the eagle. And, they, and in one the- panel, they're asleep by with the wagon. And the atom is able to push this giant, like the atom never gets any bigger than, you yeah. know, an ant or whatever, and pushes this wagon down the hill. And Aparo's drawing it like it's moving like 100 miles an hour, but it says quietly down the hill. And then they push it back up the hill right behind him. And like, you don't notice, guys, you're sleeping under it. <laughs> if you're in a team, do you have someone yeah. stand guard? And Two Face even thinking- says that. <laughs> But but then I'm thinking, but if you're villains, do you trust the other one to stand guard? So maybe it's safer if you're two untrustworthy bad guys. You both have to sleep. <laughs> right. That's the rule. I, I don't I, trust you. You I'm don't trust me. You if We're you're both awake. sleeping. <laughs> exactly. That's the only way this makes sense. And Adam's uh, Adams also uh, noise dampening. I... His noise dampening powers are pretty impressive, too. Well, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> The other thing that made me laugh out loud that when the other one where he's going to give Adam up, if he can pull this bow that just happens to be in the middle of this town square, what does that have to do? It's never been drawn. I I have I have no idea. I I read this page three times. Like, am I missing something? And then a voice in my head went, It's Bob. So (laughs) yeah, that makes no I mean so if I can draw this bow back, you're gonna let my friend go. I mean, Ollie has some. I mean, he's developed some muscles from doing the yeah. bow, but not like Superman or anyone else <laughs> with powers who could act. Right. Plenty of people in the DC universe are physically stronger than Green Arrow. That one made no sense. Can I phone a friend? Can I, can I have Wonder Woman come in and pull this bow? I mean, just be real quick. I'll have my hand on it. Will that count? <laughs> I read that and went, oh, Bob, I love you. But I was smiling the whole way. Oh, same smiling here. Smiling the whole way. So <laughs> apparently, Batman's karate chop is able to make Green Arrow get out of his greedy stage. That Batman has that power right in the meat of his hand here that he can stop you from lying, he can stop you from stealing, and he can make you quit squandering your money. Karate chop. He can, can knock you out. It. Yeah. It kind of I mean, makes sense, Rob. Right, I I know. I, as I was saying it, I'm I'm preaching to the choir. You, I mean, I've seen everybody plenty. listening. Went, Rob, we already know that. We've seen Gilligan's Island plenty. We know that getting hit by the coconut gives you amnesia. Getting hit right. again cures you. It's just science. Yeah, it's just science. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I just I wasted about four minutes of your listeners' time explaining something that everybody already knew. Now just, I, I'm a horrible guest. <laughs> you should you should karate chop you should karate chop me so quit talking like this. Now, this, let me get, just just give me a little spoilers 
for the prior issue. Okay. Does Two Face do anything? Because he doesn't do anything in this one. Uh, do you have any other questions? <laughs> oh, oh, he flips. He flips a coin. Okay, one, that's that's good. That's good. One, one okay. time, he gets hit in the hand with an arrow and drops his gun. Well, I'm that's sorry. something. That's something. And he, that's, he, that, he phones a pilot. That's dynamic. He phones action. the pilot in the plane that he's flying. Oh, the pilot's in the front. So that really radioing them. That really okay. Yeah. I was just checking. I was just checking. So four guest stars, but really only about two and a half in terms of the action that they right they engage in okay and when you get to the spot where two-face puts up the money for the ransom note you can guess what the price tag is <laughs> yeah, on okay okay lots of twos no. okay well there's a couple comments there i'm just saying <laughs> all right well you know where this is all leading to yeah and here we are the guest voices their opinion first rob myers everyone loves the drake Yes. Is this comic worth a quarter? Or whatever fraction thereof you actually paid. Whatever whatever fraction that you paid or whatever it was. Yeah, about (laughs) 17 cents. I think it's worth a quarter. I I was smiling the whole way through it. Um, Cover or no cover. If I had found your copy with no cover. And even that front insert looks like it could very well could have just been the cover. That's that's, back in the era where that first page was sort of your secondary cover. I wholeheartedly say this is worth a quarter. You forget the 17 cents that I paid for it or seven cents. Go go up the quarter. Upcharge yourself to a coverless edition. I mean, epic scope, globe trotting, bronze age, Bob Haney yep. adventure. You have to you have to understand what all of those words mean. Three heroes. Right. If you can live within this parameters. Yep. <laughs> Three heroes, sort of. Two villains, sort of. Sort of. All brought to you by the zany one with Jim Aparo trying to rein him in. I mean, come right. on. That's a quarter bin deal. Yeah, all day long. All day long. I mean, it might cost you a buck or two bucks with the cover, but come on. You right. don't need that. Overrated. No. Overrated. If <laughs> I tear this cover off, how much can I pay for it? 25? <laughs> do I have to pull it off or do you have to? <laughs> So that's why I do like the team at World's Greatest Comics, although if you make it that direction in uh, Westerville, that uh, oh, nice. they have pretty high standards for what they put in their regular bins in terms of condition. So a lot of books like this or Little Torn or A Staple Removed or something like that of good mm-hmm. quality comics end up in the cheap bins because they don't meet that. Oh, wow. you know, they don't meet that. Well, we can't really ask three bucks for this, so. And little gems like this you run across, you go, I'll check this out. And yeah, exactly. Walk away smiling from it. Exactly. So thank you so much for joining me. Glad to have you in the quarter yeah, bin. This has been fun. I'll have to come back through and flip through some more quarter bin books sometime. <laughs> Tear so, the covers off books. <laughs> so again, remind us where we can find you and what you've got coming up on the on the podcast in 2021. No pressure. I think we, we may have been talking about this before before we started recording. I'm not sure, but it's okay for a podcaster to have plans. You just don't yes. want to say them out loud. That's no. the difference. That's the difference. Okay, so no pressure. I, so. Yep. I said my plans <laughs> in 2020, and then the podcast changed. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. 
So the plan is for Robin, everyone loves the Drake where you're on Twitter at ELTD podcast. The sister show is everyone loves young justice because mm-hmm. I'm not an original. Every show is going to be something. I love. I'm sorry. I always forget no, that's, about that's giving, giving that props as well. But uh, everyone loves the Drake is we are in the middle of Batman legacy, literally in the middle of Batman mm-hmm. legacy. Now uh, we had the wonderful Michael Bailey join us just recently. So, uh, the Drake decided to take a month off since, uh, you know, Christmas and everything. And we just recorded with a Bailey. We'll split those up into two episodes. Oh, because, nice. you know, Bailey's, Bailey's a talker. <laughs> and in his defense, we did have four people on the podcast that day. So okay. Okay. we all got a little long winded. So he only took up half the space. And the rest of you podcasting's Michael Bailey. Just we love you. kidding. <laughs> Now I'm going to get an angry letter from Shag. I don't know why he's writing a letter. But uh, so we've got that going on. And we're just uh, trekking through uh, the chronology of uh, Tim Drake and in our mind's eye, no man's land. I'd like to think we're going to end the year in no man's land. We'll see mm. where that goes. We've got some, you know, roads nice. to diverge mm-hmm. and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, you can find me personally when I'm not talking about superheroes. I'm talking about music and mm-hmm. some of my favorite bands and stuff at Drummer Rob 10 on Twitter. So it's just a whole smattering of just useless information, pretty much like the podcast feed. So uh, yeah. we're part of the BatmanUniverse.net mm-hmm. podcasting mm-hmm. network. So that's where you can find us. And we're on all the podcast platforms out there. Check those shows out. Beautiful. That wraps up our coverage of Brave and the Bold 130, bringing episode 164 to a close. And next time, we're moving from my elementary school years to this comic up to the college years. We'll be looking at the first computerized comic. At least that's what it says on the cover. It's the Shatter Special from First Comics, cover date of June 1985. So if you have any questions or comments about this issue or the episode, Brave and the Bold, Rob, Robin, Drumming, whatever, or the podcast in general, feel free to contact me. Until next time, I'm Professor Allen, and he's Rob Myers, and we'll see you in the quarter bit. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Show notes and links are available at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com, where the podcasts Uncovering the Bronze Age and Shortbox Showcase also make their home. Links to Facebook and Twitter are there as well. Feedback for the show is welcome at relativelygeeky at gmail.com. And if you like what we've got going here, please leave a review and a rating in iTunes. It'll help more people discover the show. Thanks again for listening.